everybody, and welcome back to the penultimate episode of season three of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your host, Ginger, man who is sitting in some hand-me-downs from his dad, so technically some rags, Mackenzie. I am not sitting in my rags. I'm sitting in my, my standard look my american eagle t-shirt hoodie here you go american eagle you should sponsor us you should sponsor us but there you go (laughs) yes 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 i'm sitting here in my rags and my canadian co-host the canadian b arthur the john adams of theater the penelope pennywise of muskoka the rebecca to my bella it is autumn (laughs) Oh, I, I hope that one stays for a long time. Which one? <laughs> uh, that's great. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Yes. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Mackenzie Horner, penultimate episode of season numero trois. Three. Yes. How did we get here? How many I don't episodes know. this all together now? All together now, this will be 42 episodes. What? So we will end season three with 43 episodes. And then season four will feature our 50th episode. And for that episode, we have a very special musical planned. Do one we of the, ever. One of the big boys. One of the uh, biggins. Yes. Well, Autumn, tell us what are we doing today? Because this was an Autumn pick. This was an Autumn pick. And I had forgotten about this musical for a very long time, and I'm so glad I found it again. (laughs) But it is the record-holding, most shortest run of a musical ever, I think. Rags. Rags. Yes. Rags. It's mm-hmm. such a beautiful musical, and we will talk about rags. Yes, that is our show. So, Autumn, tell us, why did you choose this musical, and how did you first come to it? Again, the Tony Awards. I will never, ever forget Judy Kuhn um, singing the title song of this show on the mm-hmm. Tonys. Yes. And I was like, oh, I need to know this musical. It's amazing. It was one of the musicals that was not as well publicized. Um, Obviously. That age is like the yeah. Phantoms and the Les Mises and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is this? Sounds like a really great musical. Mm-hmm. So I darted out and, and bought the tape. Yes, yeah. I'm that old, everybody, that things were still on tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would play it endlessly in my car, um, my little brown Chevette. 
that little brown chevette turned a lot around. of great musicals not around it certainly did um so so i fell in love with it then and it i i have to say i had forgotten about it but tunes of this musical stay with me mm. and there'll be odd times where i'll just like start singing something and i'll be like what is that from and listening to the whole soundtrack again, I'm like, oh, now I know. Mm-hmm. And at the time when it debuted on Broadway, it starred Teresa Stratus, who is one of Canada's greatest opera singers. It's true. So um, another reason to love it. Yes, it has. It definitely has a Canadian connection. And when we get into the creative team, it like has some of my favorite people in it. So it's got it, it's got it's got a very big. Who's who of Broadway? Yeah. Of and the it, time. for me, it's kind of, it's interesting because listening to it again, I was like, this is like a blend of all of my favorite musicals and yet resembles a musical I hate a lot. Which so musical like, that? For me, it has pieces. Well, you're going to love this. It has pieces of Fiddler, obviously. It has yeah. pieces of Ragtime. Like when I was listening to it, I'm like, Okay, Aaron's and Flaherty must have been influenced by rags. Yes. Um, it it has like it has influence. It just has a lot of um, Annie. It has Annie influence. Of course, it does. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what does this musical sound like the most to me? Titanic. Yes. And the I original like, cast. Yes. The original cast. And I thought, why do I like this, but not Titanic? And it's because the scope is narrower. Mm. It's still epic, but it's narrower. Well, it's like, like ragtime, right? Like, uh, yeah. uh, uh, I guess yeah. epic in scope, but you're following specific characters. Now, uh, mind you, the original production was not as well focused as later versions. As, as we'll talk about, the first yeah. Broadway version was a bit more wider broader and they refine it down over the years but i I think you know what what is remarkable about this is it celebrates like fiddler Mm -hmm. um the jewish tradition but it takes it it's almost like the sequel to fiddler in a way we will get into that 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 trust me doesn't that there is a tie to there more than just the writer there is a tie to fiddler and its concept so but I mean, it's it's about that that journey and mm-hmm. the beginning of this musical reminded me a lot. I mean, I a lot of my personal artistic work is about land. Mm-hmm. It is about the stories that land holds for us. It's about mm-hmm. anything having to do with family. I'm really into because mm-hmm. my family is so important to me, mm-hmm. and the idea of of this beginning reminds me very much of the beginning of Angels in America. Mm. it's kind of like the rabbi like land and leaving the land and you know um it's uh it's quite beautiful um so yeah okay so that's why you chose it that's why i chose it and that's how you first came to it was through judy kuhn at the tony awards which people forget that she in the same ceremony (laughs) had to go from reg so she had not performed in like a hot minute because there's only ram for like four performances uh, and then she literally had to go fr- backstage, change, came back up for Les Miserables. And did Cosette. And did Cosette. <laughs> like, 
Go, Judy. In two completely different vocal ranges. Yes. That is Judy Kuhn's gift. She went from belting in this lower voice. Rags. This land of freedom we had to run to, and now we're free just like everyone to wear rags. It's all day seeing them, all day smelling them, all day listening to peddlers selling them. Rags. Like, she is a belter mm-hmm. beyond anything else, but then she comes out and does the lyrical high notes that Cosette brings. Yes. Like, she is a stunning artist. She is. She is. Stunning. Yes, I, Judy Kuhn. We love Judy Kuhn. I am the biggest Judy Kuhn fan. I still love that trio that she does with Audra McDonald and Maren Macy, the Andrew Lloyd Webber trio. Yes. It's divine. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely divine. Yeah. yeah. She is a gorgeous singer. But yeah, I mean, for me... Yeah. This is very much a deja vu of our Secret Garden episode we did all the way back in season one, where I came in and went, I know nothing about this musical. I this this is a, this is a rare occurrence where Mac doesn't know mm-hmm. much. Like, no. very, like I remember watching Judy Kuhn's Tony Award clip years ago, where it was like one of those things when you're on like the Tony Award wormhole, black hole of Saturday Mac just <laughs> on the YouTube rabbit hole of past Tony Award performances. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that one, that was one of the ones that came up and I was like, okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. Like, and then I moved on and then I was like, well, we're going back to this. And I'm like, don't know much about it, but I sure. find all those like 80, 90s nuggets. Mm-hmm. They're from my childhood. Well, exactly. I-, I mean, like you, I mean, that's the joy of this is that you've, been able to introduce me to a or, or to a number of these lost nuggets. Like I didn't know much about Once on This Island, or uh, or, uh, or or Ragtime. Like like, like these are like they're ones I'd known on my periphery, uh, but never have I actually do- dove into them. And now thanks to you, I've been able to dive in and get some of these lesser known musicals brought up to the surface. Now they're on your lawn mowing list. So Autumn, tell me. What is the plot of this musical? Because for people who have either not heard of this musical or have never seen a bootleg, because there isn't any real bootlegs. No. Hold, prepare. I will go as quickly as I can. Rags. Rags. Act one. Um, So basically it's about the immigration to America and focuses on um, Jewish immigrants. So um, we get Rebecca Hershkovitz, Mm -hmm. who is a Jewish woman who has fled Russia with her son, David, to find her husband, Nathan, who has left, I believe, eight years earlier. Yep. And he never wrote his family in that eight years. Great guy. Great guy. 
Uh, on the on the way over, on the journey over, Rebecca has befriended Bella Cohen, a teenager, mm-hmm. and her father, Afram. Mm. And Afram's son, uh, Herschel, remains in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and while on the boat, Bella has fallen in love with Ben, uh, mm-hmm. another passenger, but her father does not approve. He's a father. Okay. Um, How very Tevya of him. So they get, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, exactly. On Ellis Island, um, the uh, immigration officials are horrible to the immigrants and basically tell Rebecca and David if there's no male relative to claim them, mm-hmm. they're in danger of deportation back to Russia mm-hmm. because Nathan doesn't know they're coming and he doesn't show yeah. up. Lovely. So um, Afram basically says, you know, Bella says to Afram, please help Rebecca out. So he says, she is my niece. So he persuades his brother who lives in a tenement on the Lower East Side to let Rebecca and David stay for the night. Mm -hmm. Bella, Rebecca and David walk through the world and and see their new home. That's Mm -hmm. that's the first part of the story. It's interesting. I've I've been to the tenement buildings in New York twice. It's the living conditions are ghastly. Mm. And you think that that is what welcomed you on the other side, the land of the land of opportunity. (laughs) That's why I love this musical. Okay. So Rebecca continues uh, to search for her husband and takes a job in a sweatshop. And David helps Rachel, a widow selling trinkets out of her market stall. Bella works as a seamstress from home, uh, confined to the tenement, and she's longing for Ben. Ben pretended that he had a wealthy uncle who would provide for him, but in reality, he works in a cigar factory. (laughs) Afram, uh, although he is an educated man, uh, hawks goods as a street vendor. So they're all living in in poverty. Yeah. In squalor. At the sweatshop, uh, Rebecca is confronted by Saul a union worker. And he basically says, you need to open your eyes. We need to form unions. We need to, you know, work together to um, protect ourselves, protect ourselves and, and those we love. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, Rebecca starts to fall for Saul because where's Nathan? Nowhere. Ben and comes to visit Bella. He is trying to sell gramophones and he sh- demonstrates it to her. Um, and then Afram comes, he kicks him out and Bella sings her signature song of rags and says, I'm tired of this. This is bullshit. Basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, ah, oh, the husband, the prodigal son returns to the show. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Nathan, Rebecca's husband, he is contemplating his position at Tammany Hall uh, where he is promised great things if he manages to get the Jewish vote for an anti-union Democratic candidate. Mm-hmm. So he believes in capitalism and climbing the ladder. Very uh, opposite of every other perspective in the musical. <laughs> um, he believes his wife is still in Russia until he discovers that she has placed an ad in the paper seeking him. At the street market, Mr. Rosen calls... Uh, comes to collect bribes from the shopkeepers. David, the son, stands up for the person he's working for, Rachel, and is beaten by Mr. Rosen and his thugs. 
And Rebecca blames Saul, the union guy, for this beating, saying, if you hadn't put ideas in his head, and who should walk in at that time but Nathan to save the day? Here's my wife, my child. I'm here. No one asks questions about the last eight years. Of course not. It's the beginning of the century. Act two, women don't, women don't challenge their husbands, please. Act two, how exciting. What a, what an, what a way to end act one. Uh, act two, Nathan explains to Rebecca and David how he's managed to climb the ladder and get to a better life. Uh, Rebecca is unsettled that her husband given himself an American name. He's now called Nate Harris or Nat Harris. Mm-hmm. and distances himself from his Jewish community and his Jewish roots. He's a Yankee boy. He's a Yankee boy. We'll get into uh, that song. Mm-hmm. However, she does like the idea that she can have a better life for her son and herself. Makes sense. Um, but at the same time, she's also longing for Saul because she's in love with him. Yeah. Avram and Rachel, the the older, the father and the, the widow, mm-hmm. The street yeah. where the David works for have fallen in love mm-hmm. and they move in together and have um, three sunny rooms. Uh, Bella and David help Ben sell his magic music machine, the gramophone. Mm-hmm. And the three are excited. So to, to get more capital for the venture, Bella goes and takes a job at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Rags reprised. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into that in a minute. Just remember the triangle shirtwaist factory. Important. It is. Because it's kind of what the musical's about. Mm-hmm. Rebecca accompanies Nathan to a caution party and feels unhappy with her husband. Basically, she's seeing who he has become and mm-hmm. how he has lost all of his value. Mm-hmm. At the same time, David runs in and tells Rebecca that the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory is on Mm -hmm. fire. And knowing Bella is in danger, Rebecca leaves the party against Nate's wishes, and Bella has died. She has jumped from the window of the building to try to save herself, but the the building was too high. Afram, of course, is devastated by her death, and this uh, stirs Rebecca into action and leads the sweatshop workers in a strike, protesting the unsafe conditions that led to the deaths of the girls. The demonstration reaches near riot levels. Nathan shows up and tries to persuade him to come home, but Rebecca sees Saul and knows she must follow her heart. So she goes with Saul. Avram is still grieving Bella and is planning to return to Russia and his son Herschel when Ben comes to pay his respects. He tells Avram that leaving America would mean Bella had died for nothing. And he gives him the gramophone, which plays a recording of Bella's voice. Oh my God. Rebecca sings of a new life with Saul and David. Rachel and Avram welcome Herschel off the boat as a new wave of immigrants arrive. So... I had mentioned the Triangle Shirt Waste Factory. Ta-da! Real thing, everybody. This was a real thing, a devastatingly real thing. One of the worst travesties to happen in New York. It was, it is to this day, the deadliest industrial disaster in the history of New York City and one of the deadliest in U.S. history. So Mm -hmm. the fire happened on March 25th, 1911. So this is pre-World War I. Yep. 
and it caused the deaths of 146 garment workers. 123 of those were women and girls. The oldest, I believe, being 43, the youngest being 14, and 23 men. They died from the fire, smoke inhalation, or as Bella did, falling or jumping to their deaths. Kind of, it kind of has like that, the same feel of 9 11 to it. Yeah. Like it was a. At different circumstances, I'm not saying it's a, a comparable uh, yeah. in that way, but the same situation in the city, like there was there was no way to escape for these women. Yeah. Well, they were and locked in. You you ask why they weren't able to escape. Well, the factory was located on the eighth, ninth, and tenth floors of the Ash Building mm-hmm. uh, in Washington Square Park. It's still there today, known as the Brown Building, and part of it uh, is owned by NYU, mm-hmm. but. The door doors to the stairwells and exits were locked. And this was a common practice at the time to prevent immigrant workers from taking unauthorized breaks and to reduce theft. Unbelievable. So this it was the catalyst that brought in unions and the fire led to legislation requiring improved factory safety standards and spurred the growth of the International Ladies Garment Workers Union which fought for better working conditions for sweatshop workers. Bread and freedom. Yep, bread and freedom. So, yeah, that is that is the triangle shirt waist factory. Most of the victims were Italian and Jewish immigrants. Oh, shit, eh? Very sad. Yeah, a very sad story. Very sad experience. All right, Autumn, tell us who is the creative team for this? Well, listen... This part is short and sweet. I feel like I've been talking a lot today. Well, you have the early part. For I have got the, I've got the, I've got the shizzle here. So the, the story of rags was created by the wonderful combination of Joseph Stein, Charles Strauss, and Stephen Schwartz. So Joseph Stein, harken back. Uh, to the beginning of season two and Correct. the wonderful Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Uh, which he was responsible for. And you can tell mm-hmm. that influence is so embedded mm-hmm. in this work. It's almost like a, it, it, for me, it, it feels very much like a sequel to Fiddler. What happens to them after they come to America? Oh, yes. rags. Fantastic, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um. And then uh, we have music by the wonderful Charles Strauss, who you may remember from one of my favorite musicals, Annie. Which we talked about all the way back in season one. one, But also responsible for Bye Bye Birdie. Which we have not talked about yet. We have not. But what I love about Strauss is he, he really is great at mastering time and place. Well, think about it. He's gone from Depression era... Annie to 1950s rock, yeah, rock and roll, and to now back to 1910, like yeah. immigrant off the boat, yeah. like sound, like very, three very different sounding music, but always kind of urban. Yes, well, like, he was, a, yeah, yeah, he captures a community vibe, he gets the community. And then Schwartz, we've talked about Schwartz. When do we talk about Schwartz this season? In 
Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Our favorite musical of all time. Oh, yeah. Godspell. Godspell. Yeah, yeah. go back and listen to that. He's done all of our favorites. Godspell, Wicked. We haven't talked about Wicked yet, but that is coming. We will. Oh, well. So, anyway, Schwartz, Schwartz, our friend Schwartz, is uh, a very prolific. Poser, Godspell, Pippin, Wicked, uh, Pocahontas, Hunter Prince, by of Notre Dame, Prince of Egypt, Enchanted. He's, he's done a lot. He's done, he's a, done lot. a lot. He's done a lot. Now, the one person we haven't talked about, and this is the bit of a surprise, is the director, the OG director. Okay. One of my favorites, and it is Gene Sack. Now, Gene Sachs was born Gene Michael Sachs. And I'm I'm just going to talk briefly about him. He is an inductee into the American Theater Hall of Fame. His acting career began with a debut on Broadway in 1949. As a director, he was nominated for seven Tony Awards, winning three of them. Two for some of my favorite plays of all time. So one was I Love My Wife. The second, one of my favorite plays, Brighton Beach Memoirs. Mm. And the third is Biloxi Blues, the follow-up to Brighton Beach Memoirs. I love Gene Sachs. I really do. I totally respect his work. Uh, He was also married to one American, (laughs) B. Arthur. (laughs) So it all comes full circle. And he was married to her for 28 years. There you go. From 1950 to 78. Okay. And then uh, he was married to Karen Sachs uh, until his death in 2015. There you go. But a legend, an absolute legend mm-hmm. uh, of a, a Broadway director. And like this, this really speaks of his body of work at that time. And mm-hmm. Brent Memoirs is all about a Jewish family living and Biloxi Blues, all about, you know, living in Brighton Beach. And Brighton yeah. Beach is his own community within New York. Mm-hmm. And um he was yeah. in South Pacific. Huh? Back in 49. He was in South Pacific. Oh, as an actor. There he goes. the role of professor. Don't know who that is. I don't know either. But like going through like his like, like he also directed Mame starring Lucille Ball and B Arthur. He directed the 1995 Bye Bye Birdie. Oh, Lucille Ball. I have a connection there too. There you go. Yes, Absolutely. that's right. Yes, with uh Lucy Arnaz. All the pieces coming together. Yes. Yeah, I'm just looking at I'm looking up his work. Like so many different things. Law yeah. and Order he showed up in. Oh yeah. Like like he, like he, like he did a whole bunch of stuff. Like just like, like, like he was like a director for Mames. He's like directed Mame. Yeah, like, yeah. He's like he's directed Mame, which is probably oh. where I, 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 he's done that one. Uh, the Odd oh. Couple. Oh yeah, like he's done everything. He yeah. did everything at that time. It was Rumors. Crazy. One of my favorite plays. He directed. He, he directed the original production of Rumors. There you go. Like cool guy. Yeah. Gene Sachs. Gene Sachs. There you go. There we go. Okay. Well, why don't I give us some production history? 
And you would think, Mac, do you have anything to really talk about because of how short this run was? But surprisingly, yes, I do. How exciting. Yes. So Rags began as a project initiated by uh, Joseph Stein, the book writer. And it came about because he was approached by producer Lee Goober uh, to write a a sort of sequel slash spinoff to his best hit show, Fiddler on the Roof. Basically, the pitch was, write me a musical about what happens to Tevya and his family after they left on a Tevka and came to America. Hence why Joe Stein wrote the Russian, uh, as the story as Russian immigrants. Yeah. He was like, That's the start. That's the jump off point. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So as Joe worked, the show gradually evolved into being about a different family. It was Lee Goober's suggestion to focus the show on a female character and Joe came up with the idea of Rebecca, a young woman who arrives to join her husband and then is thrown back on her own devices when he isn't there to meet her. Great elevator pitch. Like, yeah. sets up a really interesting story. Then Stephen Schwartz was brought on. And when he was onboarded, he did, actually did quite a lot of research to get himself ready for this. Mm. Uh, he stated that this was his most enjoyable and enlightening research experience out of all his musicals he's done. Well, it's the most... Um... I think it's probably his best work. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I see that in Hunchback, or probably my two. Yeah, uh, are, I would are agree. My two favorite. They're the they're the most complex. Yes. So yeah, yeah. So, so the research he did included reading about the Lower East Side and the immigrant experience of the time, noting specific details and historical moments from that to make sure that he got authenticity right in his lyrics. Uh-huh. He also visited Ellis Island and looked around uh, and did a private tour there, which at the time was not common because it was not open to the public. It right. kind of was a forgotten uh, place you couldn't really go to, but he was able to get in so he could actually walk around, see the place. Before cool. they really kind of turned it into a tourist site that it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, he also went and vis- walked the Lower East Side, did tours of there, visited the Jewish Museum in New York, as well to get to get a better experience to get to expand on his experiences and knowledge he read actually a lot of novels from that time period including the rise of david levinsky to get like what to get the concept of what were people reading and listening to at the time as well to make sure that was authentic and he also did a vast amount of photo of photographic research he went through a lot of photographs to try and draw inspiration because if you looked at the picture he's like okay what like what, what could a song be from this photo so a lot of work he went into making sure he was well-versed and ready to do this. Awesome. And that's kind of all I could find about the writing, the early writing experience of the show. Like the show is not well documented, unfortunately. No. So no. the Broadway production opened in uh, August of 1986 at the, the Mark Hellinger Theater with little advanced sales and to mostly indifferent reviews. It closed after only four performances and 18 previews. The production was directed by Gene Sachs and choreographed by Ron Field and starred Teresa Stratus as Rebecca Herskowitz, Larry Kurt, the original Broadway Tony in West Side Story as Nathan Herskowitz, Lonnie Price, the wonderful Lonnie Price from Merrily Roll Along fame. Right. And Judy Kuhn as Bella Cohen, Dick Lazia as Afram Cohen, Marsha Lewis as Rachel Halpern, Terrence Mann, OG Javert, 
as Saul. So OG Beast. Let's OG take a little bit more like this season. OG it's Beast. True. It's true. OG Rum Tum Tugga. Yes. All oh, the things. Well, Once again, like he okay. kind of came out of rags as well. Him and Judy Kuhn, they went from one show to another show. Sure did. And, sure did. Yeah. So, and then despite its failure, uh, it still received a good deal of attention. And during the award season, received Tony Award nominations, mm-hmm. several categories, including Best Musical, among others. However, it lost Best Musical to the mega hit Les Miserables. Which is rightfully so. Lamez should have won that year. And then, despite the short run that it had, it, we actually got a cast recording, which is rare that a show that ran this short of a time period actually got a cast recording. And that was released in 1991. Uh, yeah. With the majority of the Broadway cast coming back to reprise, uh, uh, reprise the roles, except now we have uh, Julia Magnus as uh, uh, taking over the role of Rebecca from Teresa Stratus. Right. Yeah. So after the musical short Broadway run, it still had a life. It, it, it didn't just kind of get put on the shelf, which a lot of musicals that have short runs like this would have disappeared into the ether of, of musical theater. But it was, it, it's been kept alive. So in that, and that started as early as 1991 when the creators reunited to present a dramatically rewritten, severely streamlined production for the American Jewish Theater in New York, which opened on December 2nd, 1991. The production only had nine actors playing all the roles, a reduced set with two push carts on stage and imaginary windows with the actors describing the exterior activities. The young immigrant mother uh, has a best friend, Bella, of almost equivalent importance. So they really bumped up the Bella role quite a bit. Uh, and the story was now told from David's perspective. That's interesting, isn't it? It is. Kind of uh, reminds one of Ragtime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then in 1993, the Colony Theater Company in Los Angeles did a production of did a similar production, and then it came back again in 1999, where another revised version was done with the Florida Coconut Grove Playhouse and the Paper Mill Playhouse. Oh, yeah. And with those two productions, this was the version where they had it with a cast of 15 people versus the, versus the original 30 that the original Broadway production had. So 15 people, and the team reworked the story even more to now be focused on Rebecca. So, for example, certain things got moved around, uh, like the song Rags. It was now sung between Rebecca and Bella at the end of Act One. And it's Rebecca singing the song now, not Bella. Bella kind of takes on the Afram role of being the more optimistic one. No. Uh, and basically it's Rebecca swearing to Bella that she will get them a better life and get them out of the slums. Bit of a different reconfiguration. I mean, none of the lyrics really changed. The song is still there. It's just, it's being repurposed, which is something that's going to happen a lot now. So in 2006, Schwartz, Stein, and Strauss did a collaborated World AIDS Day concert version of the musical for the 20th anniversary of, of, of the Broadway opening. And that concert happened in Times Square at the Nicoya Theater and featured Carolee Carmelo, Greg Edelman, Eden Espinoza, uh, Lainey Cantz, uh, Cons Cantz, and Michael Rupert. Rupert. 
Uh, then the production was done at the Godspeed Opera House, which was extensively revised with a lot of the elements of the story reimagined with new plot elements added and new characters reworked. Uh, so a lot of the Afram and Rachel story was shrunk down a bit as they focused even more on the, on the Rebecca and Bella partnership story about them. And like Bella now wants to own her own shop, uh, all that type of stuff. So lots of, so lots of, lots of reworkings being done. However, the 2017 production was well-received and it was dubbed the new definitive version of the musical due to its new streamlined and more focused plot, which, which apparently a lot of critics appreciated. They said, this is the version that we'd love to see brought back to Broadway. So in 2019, the musical premiered in the UK at the Manchester Hope Mill Theatre. And that version was based on the 2017 version and, had a fit, and, and, they, and they refined the book and the score even more. And there was early talks of that version coming back to Broadway, but nothing has come of that. In 1996, working title acquired the film rights for this musical and the production very quickly fell to production development hell and hasn't been able to come out. In 2020, there was early talks of the project was moving again with B.D. Felstein and Daniel Day-Lewis in talks to play the roles of Bella and Saul and... It, and then after that, nothing's been heard since. So who knows? We could be getting a film version. I would love to see Beanie in this. I think she'd be great. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Well, she well, she's going to be in the Merrily We Roll Along movie musical. Yeah. She's a stage door. Stage door kid. She She's a very good singer. She's great. She's great yeah. everything. She's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Another autumn connection. I love, I love Beanie. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Well, that is production history. Woo! Hey, Autumn, we got to take a pause. A pause? A pause for applause? Ba -ba -ba. <laughs> well, we do like our applause, Autumn. But we're actually taking a pause because we want to give a special moment and a shout out to one of our new partners. It's Stu over at the Sounds of Broadway radio station. So let's give a listen to Stu, who's got a great message for us. Take it away, Take it away, Stu. Stu. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. Thanks so much, Stu. Autumn, what do you say we get back to the episode? Let's do it. All right, on with the show. Da, da, da. Okay, Autumn, give it to me. Top three songs. What's your number one song? Rags. That is my number one song, too. <laughs> Open your eyes, Bella. Just take a breath. Please don't tell me that again. Don't tell me how it all belongs to me. Just take a breath, Bella. Not outdoors, Papa. Every time I take a breath, I yeah. Open your eyes, Bella. No, open yours, Papa. Mine are open wide, and let me tell you what I see. Rags. Rags. This land of freedom we had to run to, and now we're free just like everyone to wear rags. It's all they seeing them all 
I think it is the perfect encapsulation of, of what is happening um, in that very specific time and place. Mm-hmm. And the way that people look at uh, immigrants, mm-hmm. specifically Jewish immigrants, mm-hmm. and uh, the anti-Semitism that was prevalent, mm-hmm. uh, still prevalent in our society. I think, mm-hmm. you know, um, just a great song. It's 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 easy. It's accessible. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully scored, though. This whole mm-hmm. musical, I find it, it to be beautifully scored. Like Strauss did such a, a wonderful job at finding the complexity in, in the score. So I just, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love this song. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I mean, it's not a nice song. No. I mean, the whole no, that's what I like about it. Is about rags, mm-hmm. about all day seeing them, all day sewing them, all day, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. listening to peddlers selling them rags. Yeah. And how they live in rags and how this is was supposed to be the land of opportunity. And yet here they are sewing buttons on rags. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I like it because of its complexity. Like, so right away when I listened to it, I was like, this is almost like a Shakespearean soliloquy uh-huh. of yeah. someone's internal conflict and views of immigration. Where mm-hmm. it's where, where basically you have basically you have Bella. Oh, so there's two different versions of the song. There's one song version sung by Bella, one song sung by Rebecca. So we'll start with the Bella version. But I mean, but I mean, both versions do the same thing. It's yeah, very much Bella and Rebecca. to it's them giving an honest depiction of what it's like coming to America, getting off the boat, uh, and then being thrust into this world. And it's like, well, what is this shithole? of a place to be honest with they're living in like yeah they're off the boat they're into the slums they're being forced into like 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 sweatshops and tenement squalor yeah exactly like great so glad i like left my home country and my on my heritage and my and my background for this like great stuff i mean in this moment bella and rebecca are very much the aldonza to uh afram's don quixote because you have Don, like Afram doing the open your eyes, Bella. Like, look, it's great. It's beautiful. Like, and she's like, open your eyes and see what the world is for what it is. It's yeah. rags. It's awful. Like, and, and, and Afram and in, and in the new version, Bella refuses to see the, the true griminess of the world. They're looking at it as the possibility, right? So you got this great juxtaposition and this push and pull of look at the possibility of the world to somebody going, don't show me the sky because what good is the sky to someone who's basically in rags who will do no better than crawl right well, and, and the the ultimate irony and it has to be bella's song it has to be bella's song because of what happens to her in the triangle shirtwaist factory yes yeah with her death that it's a foreshadowing it is a it is a it is a literary, it is an actual literary device mm-hmm. that she sings the song and she's doing it because there is hope for her mm-hmm. to get out of the rags if mm-hmm. she can provide the capital. Mm-hmm. It is it is the ultimate mm-hmm. tragic immigrant story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does, I don't think it works. So critics, I disagree with you. Uh, this cannot be Rebecca's song unless Rebecca is the one who dies in the triangle shirtwaist? No, Bella still dies. 
Bella's no, that it has to be Bella's song. It has to be. It has to be that yearning to get out of the like the rag situation that they're in, the ragged situation well, that they they're do. in. I, I mean, I mean, Rebecca's is wanting to get out of there as well, and she's wanting it. No, but Bella it's Anderson. different because Bella is the seamstress. She's there. She's working, and she dies doing this thing with rags. True. And that's what the triangle shirtwaist factory did was they, they sewed buttons on rags yeah, and sold them to the masses. And it's gotta be Bella. It's gotta be Bella. All right. All right. Well, I mean, I'm happy. I I like it. I I like it either way. I think both versions work because what happens is, is because they move the song as the end of act one finale, then, and Rebecca sings it. And it's much more of a declaration of, we're going to get out of this. Like we're going to get out of these rags. We're going to move on. We're going to get, we're, uh, we're going to get out of this situation. What was I thinking? That the doors were just going to open for us. Has anything really changed for us? Rebecca, please don't say that. The doors will still open for us. You'll see. Open your eyes, Bella. Just take a breath. Or maybe we just ought to pack our bags. Open your eyes, Bella, and be sick. So, and by the end, Re- Rebecca's come around to Bella's point of view of, yes, we will get out. But she can't make a declaration and then go back on it. That doesn't make any sense. I know. Dramaturgically, that doesn't make any sense. That's like, I'm going to go fight in a war. Oh, wait, I'm not. Oh, wait. I fought in the war. Like there's no, that, that, that dramaturgical line doesn't make any sense. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Once again, like you'll, you'll have to listen to the new recording to. I'm going to have to. Yeah. I don't want to, (laughs) but yeah. 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 I just want to listen to Judy Kuhn sing the song because it's brilliant and it's, it's excavating. Mm -hmm. She exhumes some piece of some, well, well, you can hear it when she says her line of looking down your perfect nose, but I'm just one more Jew in rags. Right. But the intera- the intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. is, you can tell it's in there Yeah, in Judy Kuhn when she sings it. Yeah. And I, there's something that is unearthed Yeah, um, when she sings a song. Yeah. And I mean, one last thing I'll say about the song is this is a perfect example of why musical theater works the way it does and why it's special. Because this whole sequence, which if, if this was a play, would be, would be pages of dialogue and exploration. Instead, in four minutes, you have this grand span, span uh, of the spectrum of a story from Bella being defiant and angry at her dad to then going out into the street and seeing hope. And then by the end of the song, she had that, that Jewish melody comes back in and it's that fall again of back to reality. And all that happens within four minutes. And that's what, the, and that's the joy of a musical is that in four minutes you can get so much done that you can't do as a play. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Nicholas Nickleby versus Les Mis. Les Mis was able to condense that thousand page book into a three hour epic musical. Nicholas Nickleby is a two part play. All right, Otto, what is your number two song? Mm -hmm. Children of the Wind. 
don't make my list. I I just like it. It's children of the wind. They're always blowing somewhere new. There's something, it, again, it harkens back to that, what Tony Kushner said about Sarah, mm-hmm. Sarah in as the rabbi, right? Yes. Yeah. The beginning. And just, yeah. it's, it's a, it's an anthem of immigration, I think, which I think is really, it's really beautiful. And I mean, this is a very hard role to sing. Yeah. And, well, it's, well um, it's, it's an operatic soprano. It is an operatic soprano. And they full on go into that too. It's not like, oh, yeah. you're kind of an opera. It's like, no, 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 this is full on opera singer going full out. Yeah. I like, I just, for me, it, it's kind of, it's, it, it's interesting um, thinking about two ships sailing at a moment in the distance. I- No, I was thinking about that song. And Journey <laughs> On. Yeah. But the but it's got the same idea, like like this journey. Mm-hmm. And I love plays, music, songs about journey. Yes. It's just a beautiful song. It is. It and is the, a very gorgeous the, uh song. But it's it's like talks about their journey, hiding in the wheat field from the Cossacks and the mm-hmm. streams. Mm-hmm. Flames are on the hillside, blood is in the streams. That's the way, oh, uh, and the world is burning. That's the way that it seems. David, did they hurt you, darling? Show me where they hurt you, darling. Every night it fills my dreams. Mm. And just, it's about escape. We're children of the wind blown across the earth. Pieces of my heart scattered worlds apart so far from those we love. All the children of the wind. Well, it's, it's, it's a universal song that could be sung by anybody who has fled to a new country. Well, but fled to a new country under extreme circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 I'm thinking Syrian refugees. We could could have somebody who's like a a, a Syrian refugee sing this song and it would still make total sense to us. Yeah. Or even like people coming up from the South currently, from from Central America, from Central and South America right now. Or even the Irish coming over during the famine. Yeah. Well, once again, it's the immigrant song. It's it's the story of trauma and how we carry that trauma, and and and, our, and we we are all kind of the children of the wind because surprise everybody, we are all immigrants to North America. Unless you are a First Nation, we are all children of the wind who end up on this continent. Mm-hmm. So, all right, my number two though is bread and freedom slash dancing with fools.
Mm-hmm. That was my number two because yeah. I like the swell of the song and I like how uplifting and haunting it is. Yeah. Like it's a like it's a pleading song where people are pleading and begging for their given rights. But the song isn't like sappy, like boohoo me. It's strong. It's determined. No, it's a fight song. It's a fight song, exactly. Like, I, I, like it's it's a, it's a fight song, and, and you feel the strength. And I like how it starts with Rebecca, yeah, and then has, spans out to the masses. It has it's one voice carrying everybody. A one day more. It definitely of. has a one day. It, it's very, yeah. um, it's it's very much like an anthem. And you know what? Actually, reminded me of old Red Hills of Home. There's that anthematic quality of, of a group yeah. going, no, we will not take this situation lying down. We will reclaim ourselves in our history yeah. and take it for ourselves in this moment. I agree. I look, this was a really hard musical for me to like narrow down my top three. Well, but they all kind of go together. These, this, this, They do. And thematically, musically, mm-hmm. they all kind of meld into yeah. one. Yeah sound yeah. um mm-hmm. and i i too love bread and freedom well it's an epic 11 o'clock number i mean you have yeah. this mob singing for their rights and you also have rebecca finally making the decision to leave nathan like it's an epic end of the story and it's big matt harris yeah matt harris like the scope of this one moment is so vast like you can feel the the thousands of people fighting to get their bread and freedom, right? Like within these yeah. within these 30 voices you hear in the original cast recording, they are encapsulating the thousands who who who, who said these words. And it's, it's gorgeous. interesting. It's interesting. They say give us give to us today our bread. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they're pleading in Christian language. Yep. Which is for me, I don't know if I'm, I think it probably was intentional. Probably. But the idea that. That's the Ave Maria. So they do have quite a bit of Catholicism woven in with the Jewish religion. Too. Yeah. Which is interesting because, of, you know, you have the Italian, but you also have the Catholic. Yeah. So you think mm-hmm. of who was running that area at the time. It was the white Anglo-Saxon, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. American. Yeah. And, you know, Jewish people fighting for their for their bread. Yep. Their daily bread is very interesting. Right? Oh yes, it's just mm. so good. I mean, I mean the first time I heard it, I, it was I, I it gave me chills. Listen listen to this moment of the show. It's gorgeous. 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 Well, and I kind of wonder kind of like on a Tefka as well. It's that uh-huh. haunting community voice. Yeah. Coming through in it. And once again, just like on a Tefka, it's the last kind of big community song of the story. Well, yes. And I wonder if that is why it wasn't successful on Broadway. Mm. It's because Fiddler on the Roof was a little, it was a little removed. So people can be like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's the shtetl. It's, 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 the the shtetl is far away. Yeah. 
But as soon as you make it about something real Mm -hmm. and the faults of Mm -hmm. the wealthy. Mm -hmm. um, Or just the faults within America, right? Because the same problem came from Parade. People didn't like Parade because it was bashing Americans and going, going, look at what you did. You lynched an innocent man. Mm -hmm. Like, like, people don't like to be confronted with their evil. Of course not. Of course not. Well, we're, well we're all, we all don't like that. Who likes to be told you were bad, you were wrong? Like, Whereas, look at, if you look at the difference between this and ragtime, ragtime mm-hmm. is about a upper middle class family, an admiral yes. and his family. Mm-hmm. And then the way that they help the yes. other people. It's a much nicer, it's a much nicer, more. much easier swallow. Oh, here's mother and youngest son fighting against their, their privilege and helping people. All right, Autumn, what is your number three song? My number, I, I'm going to go with Brendan Freedom as my number three. Although I have two runners up. All right. What are your two runners up? My two runners up are wanting. because it holds a, a place for me and I hadn't heard it in such a long time mm-hmm. and I love it. And there's like this, there's this, dung, dung, there's this drive, this. Well, it's a heartbeat. It's a heartbeat. It is, but it's, it's more than that. It's like this, they, it's a tough climb. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's painful. It's like hogs mm-hmm. that are yeah. stuck, not being able to move. And mm-hmm. I think it, it really captures musically mm-hmm. the idea of wanting yeah. like a motor revving that can never go. It's so yeah. frustrating. Um, that one. And I, I love the sound of love. music machine step right on over to your old buddy ben i'm here to show how american know-how means that you're never lonely again gather around you'll see what i mean there's room for everyone you don't have to shove and to proceed folks all that we need folks one volunteer oh here's one right here to bring you the sound I think it's sweet. I think it's a, a great, you know, sales job yeah, for a gramophone and they're having fun and there's joy. It's a very heavy musical. Yeah. There's joy, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. All right. My number three is Yankee Boy. Fourth of July, be so damn proud I cry. Hey, hey, hooray, whistling, we come along, along. 
slum can come over the sea And with pluck and some luck Look, she's Andrew Carnegie Oh, Buchanan, David For spacious guys For Yankee boys Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I liked it because it's a song all about assimilation into the American system. Yeah. And it's it's catchy, but it's sad because on one hand, it's so patriotic, right? Like it, it has the underscore of the Star Spangled Banner, basically. Yeah. But then you have uh, Nathan or Nate as he goes by. Mm-hmm. basically saying in order to assimilate i have to he's he's given up basically everything that made him who he is like, like he's turned away from all jewish things like, like he goes he goes I'm, I'm gonna write a patriotic song not in a minor key like just that little dig at, 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 at jewish music right mm-hmm. and it's the whole thing of writing this deceptive tune about assimilating but what is assimilating means it means you're becoming bland you're becoming apathetic you're just melding into the system and i almost feel like this is joe stein commenting on his life in broadway prior to fiddler on the roof because prior to fiddler nobody told jewish stories it was very kind of taboo to talk to do a jewish story right even though a lot of people in the creative teams were jewish it was all very anglo-saxon oklahoma like those types of stories. And then all of a sudden along comes Failure on the Roof and it's like, oh, people actually want to hear the Jewish music, the Jewish story. Oh, wow, it actually is one of the most successful musicals of all time. What? Like, and I think it's almost like Joe Stein is writing this moment as like a a exploration of that time period of all these Jewish people came over but then they tried to hide their Jewishness. And it wasn't until Failure on the Roof kind of came along and really kind of opened the doors again that you have this made the, this reacclimation of oh oh it's okay to be Jew- it's okay to be and I, I, I use Jewish uh, culture as, as entertainment. Well, it's amazing how we sell out our artistry. Mm-hmm. We sell out our artistry for things that will be palatable to our audiences and to to our donors. That's sad. And now we're in a spot where we're like especially in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. We've got we've got all these, you know, culturally specific writers, actors, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But we still sit in in play readings where people go, it's very brave of you to do this in in another language, part of it in another language. And I think no, I think it's amazing mm-hmm. that we're starting to do things in other languages. That's why doing Fiddler on the Roof uh, all in Yiddish, it should be done in Yiddish. We as a white audience, like a white Anglo-Saxon audience, should sit there and celebrate another language. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't even be a conversation. Yeah. And we colonize voices in our work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do. We settle. We settle so we can make money. And Mac, I've come to the very big realization that I am not a settler. I'm not someone who settles. That is why I will never get a job. You're because not a sheep. 
I'm, we're sheep. We want to please. We want to make money. We want to survive. We want to. And, you know, I agree with you. I think the idea of settling and assimilation, it's boring. It is interesting how he wants to become this idea of what a Yankee mm. boy is. Right. And, that, and that's what I like about the song. The fact that he's teaching David to assimilate as well. And yeah. that, and, th- and this is the kind of big opening number of act two is Yankee boy, which tells you right there kind of where the conflict is. Cause you have Saul who is not trying to assimilate, but is trying to change the system and, 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 and make it better for everybody. And then you have Nate or Nathan who is turning his back on his community going, I will assimilate and make myself palatable for, for them and become successful because of it. And one of them is a, they're both survival efforts. They one are. Just, they are. One they is just about. more about self and one is selfless. Yes, exactly. So although Saul gets the girl in the end, who's actually the winner in that scenario? In reality, it's probably Nate because he's probably going on to be successful. That's right. And he is going to have an okay life. Yeah. Whereas Saul and Rebecca will probably be in working the class. Yeah. In not even working class, like lower, lower class, poverty stricken. Yeah. And if you like waiting from lefty unions, unions are also dirty. Oh, absolutely. It's it in a way is also. I don't know. I don't well, know. It's, well, it's kind of like you're in town. A good system gets corrupted. We got to ration the water to save ourselves, but oh, wait, that rationing system now became corrupted. That's right. And bloated by money. Yeah. Bigger, bigger conversations there. Greed uh, and survival of the fittest always went out. It's true. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about Yankee Boy is I love that the that that Strauss and Joe Stein came up and Schwartz came up with this great mm-hmm. concept of having uh, Nathan so patriotic, but then he can't remember the words to the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, beautiful for dum <laughs> Like, great. It's a great little tip of yes, he's assimilating, but it's all a facade. It's all a facade to him because... All assimilation is a facade because yeah. it's not your genuine self. Exactly. Exactly. If we only state our genuine selves, how would the world be? Good question. It is a good question. And that's a bigger conversation. A much bigger conversation. Indeed, indeed. So, Autumn, what are your songs that either you would skip or would cut? Um, I have two. I, I would say the hard to be a prince. Did, uh, you know what? I, 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 I can make that my third. I don't think it needs to be there. Well, it's what well, it's it's a play within a play moment. 
Yeah, I like. I just I don't think it needs to be there. It's catchy, but it's 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 not overly it's important. I, it doesn't it doesn't drive the action forward, yeah. and it's a big musical already. Mm-hmm. Streamline people, streamline. Yeah, streamline. Ku. Yeah. Uh, my one would be Friday night prayers. That's not in the original. It's on the new recording. But anyway, when I listen to it, I feel very much it's a knockoff of uh, Sabbath prayer. We're basically well, it's the it same. Is. Yeah, we're basically it's the same function of we're going to have the Jewish people sing their Sabbath song. And, oh, by the way, we're just going to add an Ave Maria for the Catholic group. Basically, they're going to mesh together to show, oh, look, we're all religious. We're all communities. But it's like, eh, it's not really needed. Like, yes, it sounds beautiful. The way they've orchestrated it and, and then leave it, it. leave it because it's important because look at but it doesn't add anything to the story it's it's like once again streamlining the piece well then for me, I just uh, for me i just go it's nice but does it add much no like on for to the next something like that adds a uh, it that by taking that out we're assimilating for the masses i i don't know i i don't know about that i i think once again it's telling a story because we get a lot of the Jewish and Catholic stuff. I mean, we have a whole song about being Italian or whatever that one song is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're basically what's in there talking all the time about their religion and their ethnicity and their heritage. Like, it's not like by cutting that one song, you lose all that. This is just like another element, like another example of this. Yeah. Okay. The story. So for me, sure. I just go, we don't need it. It's not overly necessary. It sounds nice, so you can always have it in there. But for me, I kind of go skip. Okay. Uh, next. All right. What is your number two? Um, I don't really have a, another one. All right. Just left with your in town. My number two is the generic love song. Blame it on the summer night. And we blame it on the summer That jazzy kind of walk. Yeah. The street. Okay. Yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's kind okay. of at a place. Boring. Yeah, it's kind of at a place, and I yeah. think it'd be more interesting to do a wanting before. Yeah. Like a wanting one and a wanting two. Yeah. Where one is more hopeful mm-hmm. and one is more like uh, yeah. have it. Mm-hmm um blame it on the summer you're right i yes i agree with you it's yeah. a generic and it doesn't need to, 
there needs to be something more meaningful there because their relationship is meaningful. It is. And maybe that, maybe the wanting one can be about wanting a better world, Mm -hmm. not wanting each other, but wanting a better world for Mm -hmm. each other, something. Yeah. To that effect. Mm -hmm. But I agree. Yeah. 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 That one can go. Yeah. That's a bit weird. Yeah. So there we go. Those are my two that really kind of stood out as like ones where I'm like, okay, skip, cut, be done. Uh, There we go. Autumn, let's answer the big question. Does this musical still have a place today? Should it be revived? Yeah, I I think so. I think, you know, it's hard. Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how to answer this question. I don't think it's, I, I think it, I think yes, I think it should be. Mm-hmm. I think it, but I think it should play in rep with Fiddler. Mm, that makes sense. Um, and then I think that would be interesting to show the whole journey, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, because there is something valuable in, in you know, this was the homeland. This is mm-hmm. the land we came to. Yes. Um, this is what America was like. I think there should be musicals about actual things that have happened mm-hmm. like the triangle shirt waste factory. Yes. Disaster. And I, I guess this is a good way to do it. I think it makes people stop at musicals do something through music, right? Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they make people stop and listen. I think it'd be interesting to do this at the Met. Yeah. Do it in a very large way. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I think building the streets of New York, because the streets of New York are integral to this Mm -hmm. musical. I don't know if you can small scale it. I'd love to see what happens if they make a film out of it. More and more, I'm I'm being drawn into film Mm -hmm. because it offers so much possibility. Yes. You know. And and specificity. I yeah. don't know me. I'm a sucker for specificity. Yes. So yeah, I do. I do think they're a really important story, mm-hmm. and I think you know I, I do appreciate the fact that they put the women collectively at the forefront of the revival, yeah. mm-hmm. um, or the re revisioning, not the revival, but the revisioning revival, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The revisioning something. Yeah. Um, because it is about women and it was women that were affected in, in that factory fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe making it. Well, really they focused on Bella and Rebecca. Though, like, yeah. They really have honed yeah. in on. It's a story of these two. And hence why it's now them together singing the song rags at the end of act one. Yeah. Which I know Autumn, you are on the fence about. You have to listen to the new version to get to get. Your, I will. I will. I just. It doesn't sound dramaturgically correct to me. Okay. Listen to it and get back to us. Uh, mm-hmm. But for me, All right. uh, uh, for the, first off, I just had a click in my brain. So at the end of Fiddler, Tavia says, "We're going to America to stay with Uncle Avram," and then Avram. Yeah. Yeah, and then who is the dad in this? Avram. Avram. So there we go. Another Fiddler reference that I just totally, because yeah. I, I was sitting here thinking about Fiddler and I was like, would it have been better if they had just stuck with the original concept of Fiddler the sequel and just written it about Tevya and Golda and the, and the two daughters coming over? No, it's interesting to know more of the family. 
Right? Exactly. Interesting. And maybe at the end is when we get Tevian and Golda coming over after he's had so much loss. Yes. He has to welcome them in. Yeah, exactly. How awful. Yeah. So, but I mean, to the to the rain question of should it be revived? Clearly, this musical has potential. It has a dedicated fan base of artists and performers who see the potential in this, hence why the team has been reworking and revising this piece since it opened on Broadway. People are committed to telling this really compelling story. And the fact that it's centered around these great female characters of Bella and Rebecca, I think is uh-huh. fascinating and interesting a way to explore the immigration story. Uh, so I think, yes, absolutely. Revive it, bring it back. I would love to see this new revised version from the West End that's being based off of the 2017 version that they did. So I'm all for bringing it back. Uh, I also think that this would make a great movie musical because just like Ragtime and Parade, it's that you sometimes you need film because you need to get that epic scope of the story you just can't get on stage. Mm-hmm. Like you need the big cast, you need the big sets. Kind of like The Godfather. The Godfather works on film, particularly part two, because you get that big New York You get the world. epicness. You get the epic immigrant story. Once again, part two of Godfather, Robert De Niro's character is all about the immigrant story. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Uh, so, But you but get that epic scope and you need that and the way you get that is on film because on stage, it costs too much money to go epic on stage. Unless you're doing Les Mis, which even then they've reduced their cast size and orchestra size to make it affordable. Yeah. So like, that's the downside of theater is it's so expensive to go epic that nowadays you really can't go epic. Hence why going on film is so great because it allows you to go epic. But either way, uh, yes, revive, bring it back and make this yes. a musical. Done. Quit. Easy peasy. There we go. All right, Autumn, let's head out for the day. Let's go sew our buttons on our rags. Uh, Always. Always. Uh, first off, we want to thank Mr. Brody Well for creating our fantastic theme music. Brody! And all, and all the great work you've been doing. Stay tuned for more of his great Father Flows this music. We're working on getting him to come on for an episode yes. with us. Because he and I, we like we did musicals back in high school. So we'll have to get him on for an episode because he is very musical and he would absolutely have some great insights to bring. We just got to get the right show for him. Autumn, where can people find and follow you and all your antics? Autumn DM Smith on Facebook and Instagram. Littlewood Smith on Facebook and Instagram or littlewoodsmith.com mm-hmm. and Timber Beast Productions. Very good. Yeah. And tell us once again about what is your new radio show called that you'll be doing in the near future? Oh, thank you so much for uh, mentioning that. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mackenzie Horner, I am doing a radio show with my lovely, highly talkative partner, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's called Lesbianist. <laughs> all the things, all the times. Love that. Love that. Uh, perfect. And you can find and follow me at Mackenzie Horner on all social media platforms. Uh, you also can follow my antics with Cup of Hemlock where we do play reviews and all that type of good stuff. Uh, you, can, you should stay tuned because we have an episode with Autumn coming up where she came on to do a play review. That'll be coming out in our Pride Month, a.k.a. June. So stay tuned for that. But there we go. Yeah. So stay tuned for all that good, good stuff. 
Uh, in the meantime, everybody, stay tuned. We have our final episode of season three, which will be revealed next week. And let me just say, it is a beast of a show. Oh, I'll say it's very, it's furry. It's very furry. It's furry. Very furry. Very furry. And you know what, Autumn? We can do it. We can have it with a nice spot of tea. But you know what? It's also beautiful. It is. So it's very beautiful. It's beautiful and furry. It's almost as beautiful as a rose. Yes. Yes. Yes, a rose in the winter. Yes, exactly. There's your hint, everybody. All right, we will see you all next time. Until then, stay healthy, stay safe. Bye. Bye.